In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, I firmly believe that you are here. That you see me, that you hear me. Let the light of your face shine upon me. Watch over me, lead me, and guide me. That with you evermore I shall be. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time more fair fruitful. Mary, my mother, Saint Joseph, my father and lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. So last conference. And we've had a lot of luck with technology so far this weekend, but this morning there have been like several snafus. Um, so I'm counting on Father Coulter to interrupt me if the audio goes out at any point. Um, but right now he's trying to Facebook Live from his phone because Zoom Facebook Live interface won't work because the entire world is streaming masses right now, um, which is okay. So lots of things to surrender, including technology. Um, so up until this point throughout the weekend, we've been looking mostly at our Lord's relationship to the Father. And because our Lord's relationship to the Father, it shows us the path. And if we're to imitate Christ, we're supposed to imitate Christ in relationship to the Father. And the way that happens in our lives most profoundly is that we ourselves have that kind of relationship with Jesus that he has with the Father. That's what Jesus says in the Gospels, things like, as the Father sent me, so I send you. As the Father loved me, so I love you. That the way we relate to our Lord is, in fact, a mirror of the way our Lord relates to the Father. And so our own surrender involves surrendering our lives to Jesus just as he surrenders his life to the Father. And so this last um, conference, I want to look at two disciples and the way that they surrendered their life to Jesus. One seems to do so very easily, and the other one, seems to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Which I'm more like the second, but I want to be like the first. And, um, and I've talked about this before in other talks, uh, that my baptismal name is Sean, right? Which is Gaelic for John. And so John, the beloved disciple, is my baptismal patron. My confirmation saint is Peter which I chose out of complete laziness. Um, I remember like, having to pick our confirmation saints, and I was like, uh, I'll be Peter, because he was the first pope, done. Like, easy. I don't have to look up obscure you know, 13th century saints or anything like that and do reports on them. Um, but it's really entirely appropriate um, that he's my confirmation saint. 
And Peter is that disciple that's sort of always back and forth with our Lord. You know, like Peter had a life before our Lord entered into his life. At their first encounter, Jesus gets into Peter's boat and he starts proclaiming the gospel to the people on the shore. And Peter's response to our Lord and our Lord's holiness and our Lord's goodness and our Lord's love, Peter's response is, uh, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. And our Lord, in his relentlessly loving way, says to him, well, come with me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And I always imagine, and probably I'm projecting into Peter my own life, but I imagine him sort of going like, whoa, maybe he doesn't really know me. Maybe I can get away with this. And he starts following our Lord. And he's with him every day for the next three years. And, and at a certain point, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others one of the other, the prophets. But who do you say that I am? It's probably like when I ask my high school kids a question and they all start looking around like, uh... and Peter is bold enough to speak up, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, for heaven and earth has not revealed this to you, but my own. Heavenly Father. The Father has shown you who I am. The Father has shown you who I am. And I imagine Peter sort of getting puffed up and thinking, yes. And you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yes. And then almost immediately our Lord says, the Son of Man must go before men and be crucified and die. And he predicts his passion, and then Peter says, Lord, no, that will never happen to you. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're an obstacle to me. Ugh. I suck. He's back to get away from me, I'm a simple man. And, and Peter goes through this kind of path throughout the Gospels. In this coming week, we'll hear our Lord say to him, as he's washing everybody's feet, Peter protests. Lord, you can't wash my feet. Well, if I don't wash your feet, then... Okay, don't just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. No, all you need is your feet. Lord, I will never abandon you. Before the cock crows three times, you'll deny me. But after you turn, you must strengthen your brethren. And then they go out into the garden, and Jesus says, stay awake with me, and Peter falls asleep, and Jesus points out him. Could you not stay awake with me three times? He's kind of back and forth and back and forth. He abandons our Lord at the cross. He goes ahead and he does deny our Lord in the night. 
And I imagine this kind of discouragement and feeling of failure and feeling like I'm never going to get this right. And our Lord probably messed up when he told me. Then there's this other disciple, John. John's young, preserved innocence, hasn't had a life. After Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, he calls James and John, and they immediately leave and follow our Lord. At the Last Supper, he's, de- he's reclined on our Lord's chest, listening to our Lord's heart. When Peter wants to get information about our Lord, he goes through John and says, hey, ask him which one's going to deny him. Because our Lord at the Last Supper, he says, one of you is going to deny me. And Peter's probably thinking, oh, crap, it's me. Ask him who it is. John's there at the crucifixion. Doesn't abandon our Lord in his trial. He's so trustworthy in his love that our Lord looks at him from the cross and he says, behold your mother. He looks at Mary and he says, behold your son. He always knows what it is to be in relationship with Jesus. And then comes the end of John's Gospel, chapter 21, which is the reading that I would propose for further reflection and reflecting on how to surrender our lives. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Together were Simon Peter, Thomas Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, Zebedee's sons, James and John, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And I always hear that, and I hear this tone of resignation, this kind of tone that says, uh, I totally messed up. I'm going back to where I was before Jesus entered into my life. You know, it's a little bit different than Jesus going back to the place of his baptism where he goes back to remember the Father. Peter's like, I'm going fishing because Jesus should have left me in the boat. There's probably lots of stuff I could have done over the years, and I probably could have caught a bunch more different kinds of fish, and I never caught those. And I wonder what my life would be like if I would have caught all those kinds of fish instead of followed our Lord. And so I'm going fishing. And the other disciples, recognizing his leadership, they say to him, well, we'll come with you. And so Peter takes them all out in the boat. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And, and so, again, in, in my own prayer, I sort of can see them all in the boat, and Peter is not catching any of the fish that he never caught before in his life. And he's probably really frustrated. He's like, I can't even be a fisherman. And, uh, and all these people followed me out here, and I have no idea why they followed me. And now I feel really dumb. And he's, like, scanning the water, just looking for fish, and he can't find any. And everybody else is looking at him. 
When it was already dawn, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you caught nothing to eat, anything to eat? They answered him, no. So he said to them, cast the net over the right side of the boat and you will find something. So they cast it and were not able to pull it in because of the number of fish. So the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so again, as I imagine them all in this boat, there's like Peter is looking for fish. The other disciples are looking at Peter, except for this one, the youngest one, who's looking at the shoreline. He's looking for our Lord to show up again because he knows our Lord's going to show up again. He never wavers and thinks, well, maybe the last time was the last time. It was an exception. It just was happenstance that I was there. He knows our Lord's going to show up again, and he's confident in him because he knows our Lord's heartbeat. And so immediately he recognizes it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tucked in his undergarment, for he was lightly clad, and jumped into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, for they were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards, dragging the net with the fish. And so Peter, in his anxiousness, runs to the Lord, because he's used to living in extremes. He's used to being favored, and then, no, not favored, I'm going to... So he's like, oh, and he gets all excited and he runs to the shore. And he's only 100 yards out and the other disciples are probably thinking, why is he swimming? Like they're just like, you know, taking the boat in. When they climbed out on shore, they saw a charcoal fire with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. And, um, and so, so in that kind of reunion, In my own prayer, Peter like runs to our Lord and he sort of falls down in front of him and grabs our Lord's hands and he's so excited to be back with him again because he has felt this distance from him. The other disciples finally arrive and they get out and they greet our Lord warmly and excitedly. And the last one to get out of the boat is the beloved disciple. And I always imagine him just sort of like walking up on shore and being like, hey, I knew you'd be here. There's no need for a dramatic reunion because he always knew our Lord would be there. Because our Lord's always there. In his absence, our Lord is there. And then our Lord says, bring me some of the fish you just caught. And it's Simon Peter who goes over and he picks up this net full of fish. Simon Peter went over and dragged the net ashore full of 153 large fish. And even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. 
None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they realized it was the Lord. Jesus came over and took the bread and gave it to them, and in like manner the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to his disciples after being raised from the dead. And so, our, so, so Peter has this experience of catching 153 large fish, which is the number of known species of fish at the time the gospel was written. So it's every possible fish, every possible fish. And he goes and he grabs this every possible fish and he drags them over to Jesus. And there's a way in which those every possible fish, they represent every possible life that I could have had other than the one I'm living. Right? All the fish I never caught before. The job I never had. What my life would look like if my kids stayed in the church. What my life would look like if I hadn't suffered this trauma when I was younger. What my life would have looked like if every possible fish. What my life would have looked like if my mother never died. All of life's possibilities. All the things we fantasize about when we're really feeling like down and depressed and weighed down by life. And he drags them all over to our Lord. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And this is sort of my own prayer, but I imagine Peter standing there with his net of 153 fish sitting next to him and Jesus saying, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all those possibilities? Do you love me more than what your life would have looked like if only? Do you love me more than your past sins that you might have nostalgia for? Do you love me more than your life would have looked like if you hadn't suffered that thing? Do you love me more than what your life would look like if you hadn't denied me three times, like I told you? Do you love me more than this? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Then a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep anyways. I still want you to do what I called you to do from the beginning. Even though you denied me, even though these things have happened, even though you failed at these different moments, I still have called you to be the rock on which the church is built. Feed my sheep anyways. Don't worry about that. And this is a moment of surrendering all of life's other possibilities for Peter. 
He has them all laid out next to him. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Okay, feed my sheep. I am calling you. This is a great moment of mercy. And perhaps by asking him three times, it helps Peter to like settle into that. And to embrace his mission. It took Jesus three times going back and forth with the Father, like we talked about last night, right? to embrace his mission. And so Peter wrestles with our Lord about three times. And then our Lord says to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. Now you're ready. Now that you've surrendered all of that, your own judgment on what your life should have been, all of the other possibilities, all of your past sins, all of your past pride, now that you've done that, now you're ready to follow me. And so there's one last thing that Peter needs, which is to surrender comparison. Yeah, but that guy's really holier than me. Yeah, but like somebody else could do this better than me. Yeah, but like so-and-so, like she's such a great mom and loves her kids so much and makes like saint cakes and things like that. Peter turned and saw the disciple following whom Jesus loved the one who had also reclined upon his chest during the supper and said, Master, who is the one who will betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? The Lord says to Peter, follow me. And Peter's like, okay, but what about him? Like, he's better. He's been more faithful. He's always been faithful. Jesus said to him, what if I want him to remain until I come? What concern is it of yours? You follow me. What concern is it of yours, what that person is doing and what my plan is for their life? You follow me. Don't worry about other people and where they're at. Don't worry about how you compare to someone else. I have this for you. And so Peter also surrenders that kind of comparison or jealousy or whatever you want to call it.
So the word spread among the brothers that the disciple would not die, but Jesus had not told them that he would not die. What if I want him to remain until I come? What concern is it of yours? And so Peter's final act of true surrender, surrendering the 153 possibilities, surrendering comparison to the one he thinks is better than him, leads to him being transformed into beloved disciple. And then in Acts of the Apostles, what we see in the first few chapters is Peter and John together walking in the temple and healing. And on Pentecost, Peter will preach a sermon that converts 5,000 people, which is only possible because he learned to submit his life to our Lord in the way that our Lord submits his life to the Father. That's the goal. It's what we're all called to do. And it takes time to do that. And some people approach our Lord from that place of innocence and it's easier for them. Or when I was younger, it was easier for me. But most of us, we've had a life and we've had a back and forth life with our Lord maybe. But our Lord continues to be faithful. and He continues to call us to that kind of conversion. He continues to say, no, I want you to do this. No, I want you to do this. Don't be discouraged. And so we also have to come before him with our 153 possibilities. And let him say to us, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. When we find ourselves comparing or feeling like we're not good enough or feeling like other people have it together and we don't, what concern is that of yours? You follow me. And as we enter into this Holy Week, this is the week of surrendering our own lives and all of these things. And and what I've hoped to do is to help us to prepare our hearts for the renewal of our baptismal promises next week, because that is the moment in which we do this. And sometimes we can do that in a rote sort of a way in the Easter liturgy, and instead of saying the creed, we renew our baptismal promises, and it's sort of like, do you reject Satan? I do, and all his works, I do, and all his empty promises, I do. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? I do. Jesus Christ, I do. Holy Catholic Church, I do. And we don't think about what we're saying, I do, too. Because when we say that, I reject Satan, What we're saying is, I reject all of those sins that I wrote down in my three columns yesterday. Like, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to surrender my life to that anymore. I don't want to rely on that anymore. I don't want that to protect me anymore. 
and all his works. That's when we say I do, and it means I reject all of those resentments that I've been carrying around and all the ways that people have hurt me and all the sins that have been committed against me, and I don't want those to rule my life anymore. And all his empty show. And it's really all the lies that we start to believe about things. I'm no good, I'm a failure, nothing's ever gonna get better, there's no way of redeeming this situation. Like all of those kind, all of that, like I reject all of that. And we reject all of it in order to create the space in our hearts to then make that act of trust and that act of surrender. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as only Son of God? I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? I do. One of the most powerful deliverance prayers that's organic to the liturgy we celebrate every single year. My own practice over the last few years is to sort of make those lists and I keep them in my pocket so they're over my heart and my intention in renewing my baptismal promises is that I'm really rejecting all those things that I prepared myself to reject. You know, and I invite you to do the same this year. And to live into that kind of surrender and continue to wrestle with the things we've been wrestling with. Our Lord says, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That's his promise. He's faithful to that promise, and we experience the fruits of that promise when we sort of go all in with him and give him our whole heart. We clear out the junk in our lives and give him our whole heart so that he can transform it in his grace, his love, and his mercy. Give this final blessing from the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we entrust our hearts to you and we just continue to thank you for the way that you have relentlessly revealed yourself to us. We ask for the courage to, to let go of whatever we need to let go of and to truly surrender our lives to you, to allow you to be the Lord of our heart, our mind, and our soul. We ask as we enter into Holy Week that, that it truly is a time of renewal as we're united with our Lord in his passion, his death, and his resurrection, and pray that the fruits of that resurrection will reign in our hearts, that you may glorify us as you are glorified by the Father. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.